This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Today on Dreamland, we're going down a very interesting path. The path of quantum physics and spirituality, Gnostic spirituality. It turns out that the ancient Gnostics knew things that we've always suspected that they knew, but that we couldn't really understand. But there is somebody who does understand this, a really fascinating guy. He's got his own show. He's got a new book out called Quantum Spirituality. And so I'd like to, without further ado, introduce Peter Canova, to you and to the Dreamland audience. It's his first time on Dreamland, and this book is wonderful. It's very wise and very empowering. He'll tell you a little bit about his show as well. His website is peterconova.com. Let me just start out with a few bullet points from the book. A master consciousness exists that is the source of every object and dimension, visible or invisible, including our material world. Our personal consciousness is part of this master creative force. This force seems concealed from us, and there is a reason for that. The solid 3D world has no objective reality independent of our consciousness observing and creating it. We are living in a matrix, like a holographic illusion. And this is the key part. Anyone can use the knowledge of these things to benefit their life. Peter Canova is an international businessman. He's had some life-changing spiritual experiences, obviously. Welcome to the show, Peter. I'm so glad to have you with us. Yeah, hi, Whitley. I'm excited. I think it's going to be a great show. Oh, yeah. Well, look, first off, you're an international businessman. You just told me you live on an island uh, off of St. Petersburg. I hope you're still there. there <laughs> yeah, I'll let you know in a couple hours. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, the uh, And uh, you, you're obviously peeking in the background. You've got a beautiful home. When, it, when you say you were an international businessman, what does that mean? Well, I, you know, really since the time uh, I graduated uh, from uh, business school, uh, I've been traveling uh, overseas. I've been in numerous businesses, including shipping uh, and uh, consulting and development. But uh, for the last oh, 25, 30 years, uh, my brothers and I have had a, a company where we build luxury hotels, mostly Ritz Carlton's. And, um, you know, we've uh, we developed both globally and uh, domestically here. Right now, we kind of confine ourselves to the United States. But that was a very, you know, time-consuming effort to build up that company. And those experiences that you mentioned that I had that were, I was in my early 20s, set up kind of a divergent path for me. And gradually, uh, you know, I, I mean, I am still in business, but I've kind of taken a little bit of a backseat, more at a board type of level, and turned the reins over to uh, my brother because uh, of this um, 
other path that I, I, I embarked upon when uh, I had this series of spiritual experiences in my 20s that led me into the study of spirituality and quantum physics. So that became kind of a passion for me to reveal to people many of the, the things that I had discovered. You know, I cannot tell you how many people who come on this show have been touched by something that completely changed their lives. And we always like to ask, I have, I have two, obviously. I mean, I had a close encounter experience and that'll change your life if, if anything will. Uh, tell us about what happened. What, what came, what touched you? Well, it, it was really very unexpected. There was no, you know, ramp up uh, to it at all. Um, when I was in my twenties, I found out, uh, I won't go into all the details, but I found out that I was a very accurate medical intuitive. All people had to do was give me somebody's name, age, and address. And just with that bare information, I could give a very accurate, um, you know, detailed analysis of what was going on with them physically or even psychologically. And when I got over the disbelief of doing that, yeah, um, yeah, it, it opened up kind of a floodgate of experiences. I had clairvoyance, clairaudience, telemetry, re remote viewing, premonitions. Um, it opened up basically a whole nother world, a whole nother dimension to me. And I realized that there was another dimension or dimensions to existence, that, that our existence here is just one of layers of, of other frequencies or realities of, of dimensionality. And um, that I know that kind of sounds a little bit cliche-ish, but when when you recognize that, Whitley, and I'm sure you know this, the way your yeah. close encounters were an experience to you, that it's hard to describe to other people who haven't been through that experience. But if you've been through that experience, you own it. You know it's a reality. You know it's a part of you know the the uh, existential fabric, and uh, and that's um, really started me on a whole journey to understand what I was going through. So I started looking at ancient spiritual traditions and that led me eventually into quantum physics. And I guess the nexus there is they really, all of those subject matters of those disciplines deal with light energy and matter. And I think that's where the connections were, how I, how I got to where I am. And Peter and I are both students of what I consider possibly the weirdest mystery in the world, which is this mystery of how in the world ancient, I guess, mystics, you would call them, the Gnostics, understood what they did about the nature of reality, because it dovetails with our the very latest understanding of physics. And that's, we're going to be talking more about that. Free Dreamlanders, we're going to take our first break right now and enjoy these commercials. And above all, think about getting quantum spirituality because this is a mind-opening book of major proportions. Unknowncountry.com. It's huge. It's much more than just a Whitley-Strieber book site. It contains thousands of hours of interviews, meditations, podcasts of all kinds. My original hypnosis tapes are there. You can actually hear the moment that I discovered that I at least was not alone in this universe in the office of Dr. Donald Klein so many years ago. 
Whitley Strieber audiobooks, Communion, Transformation, The Secret School, Breakthrough, Majestic, and so much more powerful meditations. But more even than all that, it is a community of people who are either looking to gain contact or actually in contact now. There is no community like it in the world. It is absolutely unique. Contact really is happening here. That's what these shows are all about. That's what my life and this website are about. It's real, and it can be of enormous benefit to us individually and to mankind as long as we take our part and do it our way. This is what being a member of Unknown Country is about. So go to unknowncountry.com and subscribe today. Join us and join, very frankly, the future. Did we misunderstand the teaching of Jesus? Perhaps a long time ago, perhaps almost as soon as he rose from the dead, we mistook him for something that he may not have been. But we do know one thing. He was one of us. His life and his resurrection reveal the power of the good in all of us. And his teaching shows anybody, whether they have religious beliefs or not, how to find that goodness and live it. Get Jesus a New Vision. It's available as an audiobook. It is available as a paperback and as a Kindle. Get it today. You can find Peter Canova at peterconova.com. Peter, tell us a little bit about your your podcast. Yeah, the podcast is called Quantum Spirituality, which is the same name as the book. Uh, it's on Dream Vision 7 Radio Network out of Boston. It's uh, accessible through uh, my, my website, or you can just get, you know Google Peter Canova Quantum Spirituality. And uh, the subject matter really has to do with consciousness. I mean, that's what it all boils down to. Quantum physics, the, the study of ancient spiritual traditions, it all comes down to understanding uh, what consciousness is and the role of consciousness in the creation. And so, you know, I deal obviously like your show, Whitley, I, I get into a diverse, um, you know, discussions with different people, but that's sort of the core of, uh, of, of what the, uh, the, what the podcast is about. Yeah. And also I found it on YouTube by simply, uh, uh, searching Canova, C-A-N-O-V-A and there the whole show was. Yeah, all, yeah, all the episodes were right there. Sure, you could do that yeah. also. Yeah, so and it's it's quite well done. I it, it, you can really learn a lot from it. And why is it important to learn this at all? I mean, we're talking now, and we haven't gotten into the details yet. But we're we're going to be talking about an ancient spiritual tradition that is at least fifteen hundred years old, and probably much much older than that. Yeah. Uh, so why, 
What, what possible relevance does it have now? Well, it's not just the ancient spiritual tradition. It's what the, the knowledge that the spiritual tradition deals with. And I liken it to this. Um, you know, most people live their lives in fear. I mean, fear is probably the greatest impediment to human existence. And we encounter all kinds of obstacles in the course of our spiritual journey, in the course of our lives. And the question is that when you're doing that, do you, you know, do you want to live down the basement or do you want to be up in the penthouse where you can get a much broader view of the spectrum of life and understand the way things work and understand how things go on? Because at that point, you start to lead life around a little bit instead of life leading you around. And I think that that's really the payoff at the end of the day. The more conscious we become, and of course, these ancient spiritual traditions are one avenue that help us become more conscious and understanding of the creation and the position that we find ourselves in as uh, human beings. The more you understand these things, the more you have a grasp on life, it reduces the fear that you have. Uh, you, you start to have a context of understanding of just what th- th- things might be like, not only while you're living, but when you pass on to the other side. These are, these are uh, I think, comforting things. And uh, you can never have too much knowledge, I, I, I believe. I mean, knowledge is power. Information, we are in the information age. And, you know, right. you've heard that old adage, information is power. Well, I, I completely believe that. Fear is an absolutely central reality. It is the critical impediment to opening your mind to the truth of, of your existence. And, uh, you know, we, there's so many practices that work on fear. Fear of death is profound. I think it, I think it actually rules the human experience. I would agree. Now, you say I would agree with such authority. That encourages me to ask you, what can we do about it? Well, again, I, I think I, I think what we really need to do is look behind the apparent. Um, our whole existence is an appearance. It, 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 in all honesty, it's not a reality, and I can explain that statement more later on. But to answer your question, you know, directly, um, we live in a world of appearances, and what we think is isn't really what is. And there is much more to life. Life we have to start viewing as a broad spectrum. Uh, all we see is the visible portion of the light spectrum. There is a whole other spectrum of light that we don't see and that's out there, but is no less reality than what we can observe. And I think that the study of these these things, uh, quantum physics, um, ancient spiritual traditions, I think that these can afford us some tools of understanding what those dimensions beyond our observational experience can be. And once you start to immerse yourself in those and you 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 see that they are a reality, it, it, it changes your whole existence. Now, you have probably encountered the same thing, Whitley, that I have, which is that the experiences that you had, you know, the encounters that you had right. and um, the experiences that I had, they're so hard to describe to other people and have them have the same feeling that we have because they just yeah. haven't gone, gone through Something that. other than snickering. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of the difference of like, look, I can sit here and tell everybody that fire burns, but until you put your hand in that fire, you don't own that knowledge. You're taking it on faith. You're taking it secondhand from, from, from somebody else. But when you put your hand in the fire, you own the knowledge that fire burns. Well, it's the same way that if you pursue a course in life that, uh, 
you where you're trying to answer these questions eventually i do believe that most people will find the answers and once they find they find those answers there there's something that will happen to you there's there's events that will happen there's synchronicities there's circumstances it will draw things to you that will show you and prove to you beyond an intellectual doubt that these things that i'm talking about are in fact, a reality. And when you understand that context, when you understand life in its expanded scope, it becomes a lot less fearful. The, the fear of dying becomes, you know, you start to view dying in a different way, the meaning of dying, what happens to you after death, that you continue, that a part of you continues. In fact, there's a part of us right now, I truly believe that there's, all, there's multiple versions of us in higher dimensions that have kind of dreamed our way or projected ourselves down here. So we're multidimensional creatures. And I think when we get to the point where we can understand that beyond just an intellectual proposition, where we can actually gain that experience, then that's when we transform. And the book that I've written, Quantum Spirituality, what I'm really trying to do, Whitley, is to provide a framework uh, to guide people along their spiritual journey. And like any roadmap, you want to have more than one coordinate. So you want to have north and south or east and west or latitude and longitude. My coordinates are ancient mysticism and modern quantum physics. And when I demonstrate to people in the book that they're really saying the same thing about reality, well, even though that may still be an intellectual proposition where there's smoke, there's fire. When people understand that from both a left brain objective and a right brain subjective perspective, it becomes a much more powerful um you know source or guiding light for people on their spiritual journey now of course everybody has to do their own work you can't just sit there and read books and all of a sudden you know like become enlightened but but it it like i say it's a roadmap to help you along this along the way and make your your spiritual journey easier and more understandable yeah you can't in, enlightenment doesn't come from knowledge only it comes from knowledge and from life from living life uh, really living life yeah. let's ask i want to ask you now to go back in time to alexandria the city in egypt which was in the time of the gnostics was the intellectual capital of the world of the western world anyway it was a greek city in egypt founded by alexander the great it had the great library at alexandria and all of the most of the great scholars of the period would go to that city and live in that city and when gnosticism began it was still pretty much a pagan city but that would change can you tell us who the gnostics were in insofar as we know and i know that is a kind of an open question but uh, give us your idea of who they were and what their motives were. Yeah, I, I think that um, we have to first recognize that in the ancient world, there was a network of mystery schools where they would teach spiritual, spiritual wisdom. And the, this it was kind of like an Ivy League network of um, spiritual academies that really stretched from India all the way to the British Isles in, in different forms. So there was what they, a, a common spiritual wisdom way back when, we call it the perennial philosophy today. Uh, it, it, it certainly had many precepts in common. Now, 
over thousands of years, there were, you know, cultural differences came, but, you know, still there were, there was a common set of principles uh, of understanding of spiritual matters. And uh, the Gnostics had the great benefit, as you said, of being at Alexandria, which was a confluence of East and West. So we have direct evidence that there were um, Hindu influences from India, Zoroastrian from Persia. Uh, of course, you were, you know, in the in the Near East, so you had uh, the Jewish Kabbalah, Egyptian Hermeticism, and Greek Hellenistic philosophy. All of these were. Um, synthesized in a way by the Gnostics. They had the advantage of understanding and being exposed to all these spiritual traditions, and they were able to sort of distill them down. And what I love about the Gnostics and their writings, if you really understand their writings compared to all the other mystical traditions, is they were probably the greatest scientists of their age. They Their, their stories that were embodied in myths, because that was the way you trans, translated, you know, information to the masses back in those days but yeah they they were uh they were very very scientific and as i said they predicted so many major theories of quantum physics now yes they started off uh, you know i mean when gnosticism per se uh actually came into being you know uh it was an evolution uh probably you got down to the bottom of the funnel that made them gnostic somewhere around 3000 2500 years ago so they predated Christ. Uh, and incidentally, one thing I, I might want to say here, we use the term pagan. In my understanding, in my studies, the pagans were probably more spiritually advanced than we are. Um, well, than, I agree than, with you there completely. Yeah. I, I know that to be true. Yeah, and the story, the story of how this beautiful tradition uh, was essentially destroyed and suppressed has had very much to do with the rise of uh, Christianity. But um, basically, uh, the Gnostics predated Christ. However, when Jesus started his ministry in Palestine, they became amongst the first Christians because they recognized that Jesus was teaching a Gnostic message. Now, how do we know this? Well, in all four of the Synoptic Gospels, it's said that unto the masses he taught in parables, but unto the disciples he gave the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Okay, And then we have further affirmations from early church fathers like Clement uh, of uh, Alexandria and Origen, both of whom were bishops of the early Christian church in Alexandria, that Jesus did indeed have a secret teaching that was only taught to a few, to the elect, and, and largely, largely an oral teaching. So what happened in early Christianity was there was a divergence. There were two branches of early Christianity. There was the outer church and the inner mystical church. The inner mystical church was, uh, the, was essentially um, described in the Gnostic Gospels, the teachings in the Gnostic Gospels, which a large case of them were recovered in 1945, thank goodness. Otherwise, the church, the Orthodox Church, did such a, a number on them that we might not have that much information on them if we hadn't had that fortunate discovery. But anyway, yeah, was, they really did a hell of a number. Go ahead. They, they did. And uh, it, it was um, uh, uh the church evolved along these two lines. Now, the Gnostics attended the same church as the Orthodox Christians did. And when I say Orthodox Christians, it was the Orthodox Catholic Church back in those days. It was all, you know, one, one, one church, not the, you know, broken up into denominations like we have today. But they all attended the same churches together, except that the, the Gnostics kind of viewed the Orthodox as spirituality 101, introductory spirituality, whereas they were more like graduate level. Um, but uh, over time, they really diverged because the outer church started to become the church of hierarchy 
and dogma and you know organization and discipline and so forth and then when rome essentially started meddling with christianity the orthodox church assumed assumed all the attributes of the roman empire you know with a right. uh, senate a pope uh with like an emperor and a, and a senate like the college of cardinals and so forth and so on so the gnostics were uh, viewed as a threat because essentially the Gnostics said, wait a minute, we, we, you know, the church is claiming it's the intercessor between human beings and God. And, and it's not. Each of us has a direct line. Each of us is actually a direct um, emanation or projection of the divine itself. We don't need priests and we don't need bishops and we don't need a hierarchy to intercede for us and tell us, you know, what, what, what God's thinking uh, and, uh, you know, it, it pointed out a very great divergence between Gnosticism and ancient mysticism and the way Christianity developed. Because Christianity, if you look at the creation story, we were like these little wind-up dolls that were created out of the dust of the earth separate from our creator. So to make uh, uh, an easier analogy to understand, think of Pinocchio and Geppetto, okay? Geppetto was the creator, Pinocchio was the created, and that's how essentially the Orthodox Christian church told us that we were created. Now the Gnostics had a very different outlook and they said, no, that's not the way it happened. There is no separation between the creator and the created. The creator or the supreme consciousness or God, and it doesn't matter what name you give it, it's all the same, uh, all the same force, all the same energy, projected itself out into other points of consciousness. So it would be like if you had an electrical grid and you had the power source, but then you had the relay stations. So the power source was the source and we were kind of like the relay stations, but we were all connected in, you know, this one grid or this one matrix of creation or existence. So you see, there was no separation. We were direct projections of, uh, of, of uh, the source of the, of the divine. And therefore, why on earth would we need a man-made institution like a church to intercede for us. So you can see that this, this kind of thinking was very threatening to the Orthodox. Well, yeah. Because in those days, the uh, Roman empire was completely connected to the government and the, and the gods were one and the same in the sense that uh, Rome's power and ability to govern depended upon the favorite, of the gods and when they began to have all kinds of plagues and alien uh, excuse me barbarian invasions and so forth they needed a new god and so Constantine decided it would be Jesus and he basically turned him into a Roman god yeah and like uh, and actually my my ethnic background comes from that whole tradition both uh Greek and Italian. Uh, I actually had a distant relative who was a, 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 a Roman emperor in the Eastern Roman Empire for a very short period of time. It's a, that, that's a tradition that comes right from my background. And I can tell you, uh, besides everything you said is true, Whitley, and besides that, it was built on uh, obeying. It was built on obeisance. So obviously, you know, uh, in the Roman Empire, you obeyed or you were in big trouble. Well, that transferred over to the institution of the church, which became part of the Roman Empire, which is if you didn't tell the party line, if you didn't tell the dogma and the hierarchy that had developed in the church, you were going to be in big trouble. Yeah, specifically, you're liable to go up in flames. Um, <laughs> and they did. And they did. They, yeah. did. they did until uh, the Inquisition didn't end until 18. 20 or something yeah. and they weren't they were still walling uh 
people up and things in Portugal, I believe, it, it, until it, it, even at the very end of it. So that that dictatorship of of dogma lasted for a long, long, long time. Yeah, and an interesting thing there, Whitley, as far as, far as the time is concerned, the last great Gnostic church was actually the Cathars in medieval France. And the whole of Southern France was following a Gnostic belief in the form of the Cathar religion. And again, this uh, animosity between the organized religion and you know the, 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 the Gnostic oriented religion popped up again so that the Pope formed an alliance with the King of France who coveted the wealth of the Gnostics because all the nobility in the South of France were where it was where the money is. The Northern, the Northern nobles and the King actually were poor compared to the, uh, the South. Well, they, they formed the only crusade against other Christians which was called the Albigensian Crusade. And over a period of about 100 years, they eradicated this huge Gnostic church in, in southern France. So this, this whole you know, unfortunate theme carried through many, many centuries. Now, also, the Knights Templar come into this, don't they? Yes. Can you explain exactly what they... They had possession of extraordinary secrets. Can you... And and were eventually destroyed for the same reason the Cathars were, basically to get their wealth. Yes. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about their relationship to Gnosticism and perhaps an idea of the secret that they may have possessed? Well, it was it was the legend is that um, they were excavating under uh, the Temple Mount. And um, you know, we know there's a lot of passageways and things under the Temple Mount and that supposedly they found, uh, you know, many, uh, many secrets, which could have been, you know, some people say it could even have been the Ark of the Covenant or, or other, other um, you know, uh, holy relics. Um, it was probably to a large extent enlightened writings that were lost or hidden away uh, from, you know, destruction. And um, whatever it was, it gave the Gnostics insights that uh, a lot of others of that era did really, you know, didn't really possess. And whatever the case is that the Gnostics seem to have taken, I mean, the Templars seem to have taken something back to Europe with them. And remember, this is the very area where Gnosticism thrived. So, so certainly whatever they recovered was some kind of, at the very least, some kind of mystical knowledge. And uh, they took this back with them. And in a short period of time, they became fabulously wealthy. They became the first bankers uh, of, uh, of Europe. They, um, they basically set up a, a system whereby uh, money could be transferred back in those days from one location to another. So as people traveled, like, you know, going to a bank, you could check in from one location and, and get funds, uh, you know, to, um, to do whatever you needed to do in the new venue where you were. So they became very, very wealthy um, doing this, acting as sort of like bankers. And um, there, there was a whole um, other level uh, uh, that uh, it was called the Priory of Sion, where supposedly some of this, um, these relics or wealth or whatever was in a, a church in a church in France. It's you know it's a little bit hazy, but clearly something happened. We don't know exactly what, but clearly something happened. And the Gnostics themselves, I mean, excuse me, the Templars themselves 
probably were the genesis of what I would call um, a more medieval evolution of Gnosticism, which uh, spurred on things like the Freemasons and the troubadours and the tarot cards that we see. These were all very, very Gnostic in origin. Even today, uh, some of the mysteries of, of the, um, the Masons, the Freemasons, you know, certainly date back to date back to Gnosticism itself. So um, whatever the Templars did, they were kind of the bridge from the ancient Gnosticism that would have been present in the Middle East to the Gnostic influences that sprang up in Europe in the Middle Ages, like, you know, the, the Templars and the, um, the Troubadours and the Freemasons and uh, other types of uh, organizations. And this, all of this rich sort of flux of uh, of uh, ideas as incidentally uh, your cats are, are coming up and down the stairs from time to time and oh they're, sorry they're, about that. oh no 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 be sorry about it i'm i'm mentioning them because i know my audience will notice them yeah and well you you can interview them next week they're they're very discreet in the way they move. It's almost as if they knew they're kind of sneaking behind you. And I think I think my Siamese heard you because you might now hear them in the background. Yeah, yeah, and there goes one of them back up yeah. again. Uh, it's almost as if they sort of know you're on camera and they're going up and down the stairs. In the I wouldn't doubt it. They're cats. I mean, and they you know they're going to do things like that. Uh, I don't have cats anymore, but when I did have cats, one of them lived on my lap. Uh, when I worked, and the other one, uh, when I I got really intense in my writing, would leap up on the keyboard with incredible regularity. As soon as I was really blasting away, whoosh, this cat would appear on the keyboard. Well, they, some... they, are, they are particularly spiritual creatures. That's one of the, reason I, the reasons I like having around. I find, I, I, I mean, I don't want to offend dog people, but I just find cats to be a little bit more intuitive to some things. Well, you know, dogs are loyal. My, my wife used to tell a wonderful story about the dog. It's a uh, story that she learned, I guess, from a Lakota Sioux. And so it's probably a, a Sioux story. I'm, it could be another. She knew a lot of people from different Indian traditions, Native American traditions. And this one was that God... Uh, decided that humans were so different from other animals that he would build, would create a, ca a, a chasm between man and put man on one side and all the animals on the other. And at the last minute, dog jumped across to be with man. So dog's got a place too. And just saying that to the dog people. Okay, let's, now let's go on. Let's dig in a little bit here. Uh, you mentioned the... Uh, the mystery schools and i read recently that the uh, the eleusinian some uh goblets had been found in eleusis and the in the contents analyzed in other words the scrapings from the interior and they were found to be hallucinogenic uh substances and this gets me into the way the because we're not we, we don't we're very into the useful the spiritual value of these substances if used correctly on this show uh and this gets us into the seeing 
that was done in the ancient mystery schools and transferred to the Gnostics, perhaps. And could this be the key to their unremarkable understanding of quantum indeterminacy, which I think is at the core of your story? Mm -hmm. I think that that was certainly a tributary um, to what we're talking about. And, you know, even the Delphic Oracle, I mean, there's theories that the gases coming up from uh, you know, the earth, uh, you know, creating the hallucinogenic effect were uh, part of uh, what went on with the Oracle. Now, um, you know, I'm not a major proponent of, of drugs. However, like you, I do believe that with proper usage, they can play a role. And the way I think that some of these hallucinogenics work, my, just my own personal opinion. Look, I, I, I believe entirely that we're living in a virtual reality, a simulated reality. And that, that's something, you know, I cover in the book and we can get into that later if you want. But I believe we are living in a simulated reality. And things can happen where you have a break in that simulation and you start to look behind the screen. It was like, it's just like you're watching a movie and someone tears a hole in the screen. And wait a minute, there's something back of this. I thought this was real when I was looking at, but there's something further back there. So, you know, these, these, these hallucinogenic drugs can provide a tear in the screen where people can have, you know, experiences behind it. Now, you don't need hallucinogenic drugs to do that, okay? You, you, to some people, it happens. I, I know you don't. I've never taken one in my life. Yeah. My uh, wife used to say, why should you bother to spend the money considering yeah. what you see and experience? Go well, when I, when, I was, when I was young, I did, I did you know, have some experience with that. Um, but, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it's another avenue um, that can... Uh, show people that there's something, you know, behind the illusion here. Now, for other people, say like myself, something happened spontaneously. It happened kind of spontaneously. Um, Philip Dick, uh, the, the author, you know, who was the I, probably best known for Blade Runner, was a noted Gnostic and had Gnostic experiences. Carl Jung, the great psychologist who I cover in the book, uh, was another kind of spontaneous Gnostic. Wolfgang Pauli, the famous physicist of, of that era, uh, was, uh, you know, had had these uh, what I would call spontaneous Gnostic type of dreams. Um, and but for and other people, it, it can come through the study of scripture or, you know, other avenues. Like I say, there's not one avenue to opening up your consciousness. It, it can happen in, you know, several different ways. And hallucinogenics is, you know, one possible way that it could do that for people as long as it doesn't get abused and out of control. Wolfgang Pauli came across a, a constant called the fine structure constant that has no reason for existing. In other words, all of the constants, the Planck constant and so forth, we can, we can understand the physics of why they are like that. The fine structure constant upon which the entire structure of the universe depends is it's one one forty seventh and that's it it's a universal number but there's no reason for it it's as if god simply decided on it and that led to the relationship between wolfgang Pauli and uh carl jung so this gets me to something that you you have referred to now twice about the nature of reality and said, let's talk about it later on. Well, after the next break, it's going to be later on. So we're going to do it. Okay, we'll be right back.
Have you ever read Communion? Or have you never read Communion? It's out in a new edition. Very powerful, a subtly new cover that reflects the fact that the visitors are now looking back at us because they truly are. You can get it from the unknowncountry.com store as a Kindle, as a beautiful, sumptuous paperback, or as an unabridged audiobook read by me. It's the first time in the whole life of communion that it has been read in full in audio format. And believe you me, I felt that reading. I put my life, my memories into it, and I trust you can hear it in the voice. I sure felt it while I was reading. So get communion, listen to it, read it. Communion is of central importance to all of our lives. Okay, we're back. We're talking to Peter Canova, his book, Quantum Spirituality, petercanova.com. You can get through to his podcast on petercanova.com. Well worth doing. Fascinating stuff. Knows his stuff, obviously. Quantum Spirituality, a mind-opening book. Very worth your time if you are on a serious journey. And I think most of us on this show who are involved in Dreamland are on pretty serious journeys. So, but where are we going? Well, that's what's serious about the journey. We're not sure. Um, the Let's talk about basically this question. Is reality real? And where does, where does a mystery like the fine structure constant come from? Because Wolfgang Pauli was obvious, arguably one of the greatest physicists who ever existed. And he couldn't figure it out. It doesn't have any origin except conceivably the mind of God. Well, there's so many ways to answer this question. Um, let me let me begin by saying that, all right, let's talk about reality. What is reality? Well, reality isn't what we observe with the five senses. And we can pretty much know that because I think everybody understands in this day and age that the physical world that we detect as solid objects is not solid at all. In fact, we know it's composed of subatomic particles that are whirling around in space and they have their properties are quite different from the world that they seem to create. So I think it was Richard Feynman, the famous physicist, who said that anybody who thinks they understand quantum physics doesn't know what they're talking about because it right. is so baffling and so counterintuitive, okay? But let, let's, let's start off with this understanding. Atoms themselves are only 1% mass and they're 99% light energy in space. So we fixate on the 1% that is the mass to the exclusion of the understanding of anything else. Obviously, you know, we, we are, uh, our, our minds, our mind energy is envisioning us as beings, physical beings in a solid world. 
but the study of quantum physics tells us that's uh, that's anything but true. In fact, even starting with Max Planck at 1900, which was the birth of the quantum age, Max Planck was a brilliant German physicist who was the father of quantum physics. And Max Planck himself said, I can assure you one thing, that there's no such thing as particles. There's no such thing as atoms. What there is, is an intelligent force. And there is a mind behind this intelligent force. And it brings to vibration what we consider particles and what we consider matter. So it, essentially what he was saying is that all of creation is essentially a mind thought from the supreme being from a supreme intelligence. Now, this isn't Swami Ramalama Ding Dong telling you this stuff, okay? This is the father of quantum physics that made this first observation. Everything I've been trying to get Swami Ramalama Ding Dong on this show for years, but he never yeah. will come. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll, I'll put in a word for you. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, uh, everything that we've discovered since Max Planck reinforces this. There are no such things as particles at the fundamental level of reality. What there is are energy waves. So essentially, everything is a force field, a quantum field, and a, a light energy field. And it's from this light energy field that particles arise. The appearance of reality arises under certain conditions. They call it the collapse of the quantum wave from an energy to a particle state. It happens under certain conditions. So the easiest way to understand this is, you know, I live here in Florida and we have something called water spouts. Okay. Water spouts essentially are like mini tornadoes that form over water. They look exactly like tornadoes, but they're composed of water. And when you look at them, you know, they look just like a tornado and you want to stay away from them. So um, you can look at a smooth river or, you know, a, a smooth ocean and these water spouts will form. Now, the, the ocean underneath is very smooth, but the water spouts form something distinct. They're, they, they, you, they're distinct. You can see them and they look real to you, but they're really composed of the smooth water underneath it. Quantum physicists are saying that's the same way that the universe operates, that we, our physical reality is like a blip or a blemish in this smooth field. And it's all part of the one field. It's not separate from it. It's just a separate appearance from the energy field. So all life really is just that. It's an appearance of deeper forms of energy. We are really all composed of light energy. And that light energy happens to be controlled by, it's an intelligent light energy, okay? The source, the source consciousness is just that. It's consciousness, but the vehicle it uses to express itself is through light energy. And that light energy contains intelligence. It, and that intelligence really is like DNA. It, it, it has algorithms that give shape to all the various and multifold forms that we see in creation, or even that we don't see in creation. It, 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 it gives them each their distinct characteristics, but they are still all part of that one original energy. So the Hindus have often said that any consciousness apart from the one consciousness itself, they call them the mind sons and mind daughters of God, which would include us. And, you know, we get back to that analogy of the power grid and the relay station. If the, if the power source is, God or consciousness, and it expresses itself or projects itself out into different points of consciousness. We're like the relay stations. And I call them relay stations because 
the energy in order to experience individuality you have to have a limitation of consciousness or a limitation of energy because if you you weren't operating out of limited consciousness if we if angelic beings spiritual beings whatever you want to call them did not have consciousness that was limited from the we'd be absorbed back into the source we we you know but but it's all the same it's all just a step down frequency of vibration so the price that you pay for individuality is a lower frequency or a limited consciousness that allows you to think that you know we're operating as our own independent actors but right. we are really part of a source consciousness that we come from it's essentially an illusion a very clever illusion yes now in the second part of the show we're going to be going more deeply into just how this all relates how does modern physics relate to gnosticism and above all how can we use this in our lives because knowledge is power and in this area of human endeavor thoughts really are things they really are very powerful and we're going to get into what the the power of these thoughts may be and are and how this can be used to uh, make your life into something much richer and uh, if you will more gnostic than it has been before we're going to be talking about things like the power of the archons and who they are and the significance of the visitor experience and the greys and who they are and what all of this means uh, with a man who who knows a lot of answers to these questions free dreamlanders it's been great having you with us and we'll see you again next week you've been listening to dreamland be sure to tune in again next week dreamland is brought to you by unknowncountry.com and its family of subscribers our theme music is the o of pleasure by ray lynch unknown country was founded by ann streber our news editor is matthew frizzell our coordinator is amy safrankova Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host, and I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.